to For All Mumkind, the podcast. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian and mum to Polly and Alfie. It's Laura O'Mahony. Hello. Hello, Pamela. How are you? I'm so excited for this chat. It's been coming for so long. (laughs) Yes, I have been actively stalking you, I think, for about a year now. And you finally took the bait. It took a a pandemic for you to take the bait. (laughs) It took me to be seven, seven weeks until my due date to go, Get your shit together, Pamela. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just there with my little fishing rod <laughs> waiting to hook you on. And finally, I got you. Yes. Um, we were actually texting the other night and we, yeah, we're talking about you were all excited for me having a baby in a few weeks. And I texted you back saying, yeah, I'm sitting here reading about breached babies and C-sections. Yes. And you were, you declared that you're all about the sections. I am the queen of the C-section. That's what I'd like to be known as. Um, really, what I suppose it's it's from my own personal uh, experience. Um, my mother had three sections and my sister had two sections. And uh, I think my mom would maintain that my that her mother, my my nanny, should have had sections, um, but didn't, uh, which is quite scary. So when I was pregnant with Polly, I just had this sense that I came from a long line of section people. And so that would be the route I would take as well, because I suppose mom had sections because uh, she would have quite a narrow um, area. And I have very similar uh, shape to my mom. So I was kind of like, I think I think this is going to be a section. Um, so the whole way along, like my GP kept talking about pushing. And I was looking at him going, I'm not sure who you're talking to there, because I, I just I never fathomed pushing as an option. But kind of the further along it was going, people seemed to be talking about pushing quite frequently. And I was kind of like, okay, great. Um, We're doing this our way. So like, I wasn't too posh to push. Of course I would have pushed, but my main thing was to get the babies out safely. Um, And I kind of, the babies are the first baby and obviously the second baby then. But I felt like, um, I felt like it was like doing a video game and that, how was I going to unlock the last level? And I just couldn't fathom that I was going to lock it, unlock it through pushing. I was like, the key is a section. It's the only way, it's the only way. Um, so, and I think uh, with Polly, I had a sweep. Uh, my whole body just clenched at the mention That's, of the word sweep. Yeah, it was. I, uh, I had a, a sweep with Alice, unbeknownst to me. Horrendous. Um, it's horrendous. Just around, but I like she couldn't do it, you see, because I subsequently discovered like I have to have Valium to have a smear test, right? Because there's just no way up. It's a miracle that a child got into me in the first place. Um, because it, I like when when she tried to do a sweep on me, my whole body rose up to meet her, like I fought her. And uh, I remember her saying to me, you'll have to you'll have to be able to do this because how else is the baby going to come out? Which she shouldn't have said. But I was naive and, um, uh, you know, first time mother. And I thought yeah. I must be they must sweep me. I must be swept. Not realizing that, of course, you don't have to have mm-hmm. sweep at all. And I remember that feeling of like, oh, my God, this woman can't do a sweep on me. How is the baby going to come out? And I went into a cafe inside in town and I bawled my eyes out into a bowl of porridge. And my mother randomly knew I was upset and she managed to find me inside in this cafe in town. 
and we kind of like it, it, that was the that was a an unnecessary cause of panic for me then oh, was completely. like it was a ridiculous situation like because I actually think I self-diagnosed myself with a thing called vaginismus which I think I definitely have where like it's very very narrow in like entrance into me <laughs> and actually the bit of gas and air that I had during my attempted pushing stretched me just enough so now I don't think I have it anymore but like it was very uh I just couldn't see pushing happening I just couldn't I was like I am going to have a section and I don't understand why everyone's talking about pushing and sweeping. I do not wish to be swept. <laughs> so up until like what were you like 39, 40 weeks when she did that sweep? You must have been. I was I'd say I was about 39 weeks. Yeah. And then the next uh, appointment, which was probably the it might have been slightly earlier, but anyway, the, the following week. I met because I was public, so I was meeting different people all the time. I didn't have any kind of one person, but I met this lovely doctor um, and she I explained to her about the sweep and that I was absolutely like, what the hell? How is a baby going to come out of me? And oh, and also because I was being booked in for an induction and I was like, how are they going to get the induction gel into me? Like I was very worried about that as well. So in fairness to this lady, Dr. Karen McNamara, we have a teddy bear named after her. (laughs) She um, she made sure that I was booked in to be induced on a day that she was working. And so she had me booked into the induction suite where I would be able to have gas and air when the gel was going in. So that was, uh, that's how we got over that hurdle then because the gas and air worked like a dream. You could have gotten a bus up me, no bother. Um, uh, it, it relieved all the all the stress of it. So they did manage to put the induction gel into me. Not that it did any good, but they did manage to get it in because that was, so they were my concerns like in the lead up to having my little girl was like, like That's how, a lot to have on your plate. You know, yeah. that's a lot of like fear and anxiousness around yeah I'm not I'm not really big into the fear or anxiety scene um so I just was very annoyed uh with the kind of aggressive sweeping woman uh but in a way I'm kind of glad it happened because it prepared me then to be a little bit stronger in hospital and it's also I was able to say to my husband Shane like you know if there's anything going on now that we're not happy with we have to speak up kind of thing um and so in a way it kind of made me a bit kind of steely inside and ready ready for a fight possibly too ready for a fight (laughs) i'm fighting ones that were being lovely i'm like get away from me (laughs) it's something you kind of have to be mindful of in that one if you know if you've got someone that's looking to do procedure whether it's a sweep or induction that you know you you actually have to you know you should be offered to give or not give your consent for those scenarios a hundred percent like I think particularly with the sweep it was presented to me as this is part of uh, the giving birth process that has to be done it was only afterwards I realized that I could have said no to that no bother um and like I I feel as well the induction process like I was 11 days over um when I was induced usually they'd only leave you the 10 but I was 11 so that I'd be on that doctor's day and um I really I really wonder about that I really wonder if they'd left me two or three or four more days 
would I have gone into some sort of natural labor? Because mm. I even the morning of the induction, I thought I was in, <laughs> I thought I was in incredible labor that morning. I was like, oh, this is great. Now I've gone into labor before the induction. Um, somebody told me subsequently that at no point was I ever in active labor. <laughs> I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I was leaning up against the wall, crippled. But I feel like my body was starting to kick into um, kind of birth mode. And I yeah. just wonder about if they had let it. I know they I know they can't and that there'd be concerns about the baby and everything. But I wonder if even 14 days maybe would I have gone into some sort of natural labor then? And therefore, would it be more likely that I would have pushed? But, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy that my baby was a priority and that they were both safely, they both safely exited. But at the same time, I do wonder when I hear people going in for induction more often than not, it's such a horror story about this gel didn't work, that gel didn't work. I was in for 36 hours walk in the halls and I'm like, maybe if you had just stayed at home, your body would have gone into labour naturally. I just don't know. I don't know the answer. I was induced with Alice um, and... Yeah, so I got gel the night before and then the following morning yeah. and got some more about lunchtime. And then yeah. um, it kind of just, she just kind of didn't decide, ah, yeah, I'm ready. Um, like nothing was really happening. Like there was like nothing was stirring. And then it went from like naught to 100. And yeah. I remember kind of having a vague idea of timing. So about lunchtime, and I remember thinking, and then by, I think about two, I had about two hours, if even, of like contractions, kind of. Um, yeah. And then she was born at like half four. So it was about three and a half hours. Yeah, no, Polly was having absolutely none of anything. So I did, I was induced. I had my gas and air, sucked on the gas and air for the night. I had pethidine, which I said I'd never take. Um, took that. It made me, it's meant to make you relaxed. It made me the opposite of relaxed. I was up to 90 on it. I had the TENS machine. Like I was given all the illusions of going to push. I'm like, I've got a TENS machine, guys. I'll definitely push free, not a notion. Um, I did the bath. I had a bath. I was, I always remember the bath was so small that in my head, you know, that film Flubber, I just felt like I was just that <laughs> character. And Shane, my husband, was kind of looking down on top of me. And I was kind of like, this is, I need you to delete this image from your mind. Like it wasn't like, a magical birthing pool in a swimming tox. It was like nudie in a really small bath. I was like soup. And so then uh, more induction gel, more gas and air, going on and on and on and on. Uh, oh, I also had an early epidural for, because of said small entrance. Uh, so I had an early epidural. At some point, my mother came in to see me. She got she got a cheeky swap with Shane and got to come in and see me. And she said, I look so puffed up from everything I had had in me. Uh, and she bawled crying over me, which, of course, was less oh, than ideal. Yes. And then she, well, I didn't really fully notice because I was delirious. Um, but then she went across to Wilton Car Park and she said she bawled crying into the, into, in the car park because she was just so worried about me. Because, again, she's a section mother. Yeah. So she's like... She's like, I don't, she knew nothing about pushing. And at this point, everyone was still saying I was going to push. And it wasn't, so that was like at lunchtime. And Polly wasn't born until something like 21 minutes past nine that night. My mother was gone cracked at home to the point that my brother-in-law said to her, would you maybe do a crossword or something? And mom was like, I can't do a crossword. I just need to wander around the house panicked. Um, which is very unlike my mother again. But yeah, so then, so like I was induced. 
Then she went to something like three centimeters. And then at some point they came in and they said that she had gone backwards. Now, somebody subsequently told me that that can't happen, but I, it definitely happened because she stopped, she stopped going. She went back to two centimeters or something, right? Who knows? A bit of me, a bit of me <laughs> grew back. But they just started mentioning the word section, this lovely doctor. There was uh, hummings about sections and I, my little face lit up like a Christmas tree. I was like, yes, I will have that. And I could see how genuinely shocked they were that I was thrilled. They were kind of talking about, we'll make a decision about a section soon. And I'm like, here's the decision. Let's do this. I'd be delighted. I Thank you so much. Because I could see that she was... Um, uh, Polly was getting in trouble on the heart monitor as well. You know, she was starting to, you could see that she was not thrilled with how things were going. Yeah. So uh, at this stage in all, I had, uh, <laughs> I had one of those, what are they called? Uh, a catheter in. Oh, I, yeah. uh, about three days later, I said to Shane, my husband, I was like, Shane, I haven't weed in about two days. He was like, Laura, you have a bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking down and being like, oh, that's where all my weed is going. Right, great. But so then... It wasn't an emergency in terms of like there being any danger to Polly. Yeah. But it was an emergency in terms of like it's an unplanned section. So suddenly it was all go. They gave me anti-sickness tablets, which I instantly threw up all over the poor midwife. Absolutely destroyed her. Actually knew her. My dad is randomly her godfather. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, Pamela, yeah, you know my dad. Do you gawked all over her? Uh, I was like, sorry about that. My dad will get you something nice. Um, So then down to to the theatre then, and just like Shane is suddenly gone and getting his scrubs on, I'm getting more epidural. Uh, just a bit, just a bit busy. There was a lot going on. Um, and then, like, I was just relieved at this point. I was like, I'm just going to get to meet her. This is brilliant. I do remember that me, like, I was fairly, I was, I was with it, obviously. Oh, but I was shaking, shaking like crazy. And I said to Shane, I was like, oh my God, Shane, I can't stop shaking. And this little Indian man popped in from the site and was like, that is normal. And to this day, I don't know if he was real, but I'm thrilled <laughs> that, that he was there and very supportive. So uh, then I remember in the middle of the section that somebody came in from an actual emergency and called for the doctor that was in the middle of doing mine. And she headed out to deal with whatever it was and then came back. I was just kind of like, she's coming back, is she? Because I appear to be eroskilt. <laughs> um, so then they, uh, they they pulled Polly out. We we knew we were having a girl. Um, as they were pulling her out, I heard them going, no, don't poo, don't poo. And then oh, no. they lifted her up over the curtain. She was there and gorgeous and fabulous. And then they, they handed her, I thought, for me to hold. But I was shaking. I was like, I can't, I can't hold her. And the doctor was like, we know you can't hold her. We've done this before. Just have a look at her. And I was like, she's lovely. And then they were stitching me back up, but it was a teaching situation. So I could hear the doctor teaching the student about how to do the stitches. I'm like, oh, this is nothing to do with my body. And so then there she was. And I brilliant, but dramatic enough. Um... Whereas with my my son, Alfie, who's two, that was an elective C-section. And I always say it was like having a spa treatment with just something vaguely unpleasant happening in the middle. And it was much more uh, leisurely and relaxed because it was all planned. And it was 
it was bordering on delightful, to be honest, <laughs> in comparison. I just thought it just feels a bit like you're a handbag and somebody is rummaging around trying to get something out of the bottom of you and then they pull out a baby and then you're done. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! So the second one, like the second one I walked down to, I walked into that section uh, chatting away to everyone, totally with it. I was top of the list, so I was first in the morning and no trouble, very calm. The only thing about that was at some point there was a smell of burning and the same chap popped in my head. He's the same chap popped his head in and was like, oh, don't worry. They're just that they're just cauterizing something. And I had thought that it was just like toast in the room next door. So I didn't think that the burning was coming from me (laughs) and I could quite happily have done without that information. But it was worlds apart, really. It was it was much easier. Um, Second, the elective C-section was much easier. But I mean, both both massive surgery, but uh, just for me, it was the easiest. Um, it was the only way out. Yeah, yeah, for Polly and Alfie. Yeah, that's it. And and Alfie had tried to. Alfie had tried to go down the birth canal. I'm like, Alfie, get out of there. Did he? And so, yeah, he had made a good attempt, and they had to pull him out by the ear. So he had a big mark on his ear for a while because they'd had to go down from. Whereas Polly was like, Polly was practically up in my throat. She was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in here. Um, but totally worlds apart, and like. Uh, but but then having said that, uh, Alfie did end up having to go to neonatal uh, because they felt he was breathing a bit quickly because sometimes in the section they don't clear. Oh, uh, the mucus is this is it. or something. Yeah. Now, so as it turns out, so he spent like 36 hours in neonatal. Now, because he was the second baby, we were we, we chose calmness. We were like, we're not going to freak. We're going to choose to be calm. And so uh, we quite quickly knew that he was OK. Um, he was breathing a bit fast. They put him on antibiotics immediately because the fear is that he has an infection and they had to take his bloods and stuff, which was a bit traumatic. Oh, because I was in the bed with my section, Shane would have to come collect me then and bring me down in my wheelchair. I was very dramatic. But we, once we were in neonatal, we realised that Alfie was in like a line of babies that nobody was particularly worried about. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, there's obviously rooms with very sad things happening and Alfie actually I stood next to a baby and I was like oh Alfie you'll be fine you're so lovely and then the nurse came along and was like that's not Alfie we moved him (laughs) I was just like you're a lovely baby also where's my actual baby but so that was it like I wouldn't have liked that to have happened with our first baby because I think we'd have been totally freaked but we knew that Alfie was fine and he came back up to me so I had one night on the ward without him I think um, and then he came back up and was was fine. He's just a bit of a fast breather. I sometimes notice that about him, that he does breathe quite quickly. Um, so there was nothing wrong with him, thank God. But still a bit freaky to have to go to neonatal, whereas Polly didn't. And they're... So then... Okay, so we have both of them now. They're out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the first six months with both of them so a boy and a girl I'm always fascinated by the, the difference in gender and stuff and behaviour and, mm. um, what were the first six months like with them? A very different really to be honest um, so with Polly I bre- I attempted to breastfeed uh, like she was thrown on my boob in the hospital and I'd say it was about day four by the time somebody actually came in and showed me you know, a, a possible stance that I could use to get her to feed. 
I was fairly clueless about like I didn't go to any classes or anything because I'm just like I'm just like that in life I'm like no I don't need to go to a class about this so I didn't know about your milk taking a while to come in and I, I just thought you had milk I didn't really think that it would you know like I remember day three or four feeling like oh jeekers it's definitely in now um, so I had loads of milk. I could have fed the entire of CUH if they had wanted me to feed them. Um, but I, this is so controversial now. I'm just going to say it out because I, I think women need to be able to say it and be able to hear it. I hated breastfeeding. Um, I really struggled with it emotionally. Um, I could I was brilliant at it I was a great breastfeeder and Polly had loads of milk and she was well fed and everything but it really took it out of me uh, like every time my husband would say I think she's hungry I felt like throwing a hatchet at his head because I was just like it can't be me it can't be me again I found it very overwhelming because I kind of found like I'm a first-time mother and I felt like breastfeeding made me feel like this is it now. You are a mother. You are, you're not to go out of the house. You're not to go anywhere. This, the book stops with you here, Missy. And I found that too much. I found that too much to handle, but I persevered and I did, oh jeekers, I did something like, I think I did 15 weeks exclusive breastfeeding. That's amazing. And then, oh, but hell, like I, I wasn't, there was nothing, like me and Polly were so well bonded. There was, it was an awful, it was an awful pressure, really. Um, and then I remember I went to go get my nails done for the first time again, me shellac, and I forgot to leave for milk. And I was inside getting my nails done and my shoulders were up around my ears with the worry. And I could feel the milk filling up in me. And I got into the car when Shane collected me and I burst out crying. And I was just like, I didn't leave her enough milk. She's starved and blah, blah. And Shane at that point said, would we maybe think of combination feeding her just to take the edge off a bit? Because I had all of the guilt. I had all of the breastfeeding mammy guilt. I had all of the, you know, you can never stop. You must do this. My sister had breastfed really easily and really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure for her. So I felt a bit like, like I've always kind of copied everything my sister did. She's a bit of a, you know, like she's older than me. So I'd have kind of followed in her footsteps. So I felt a bit like, oh my God, I'm kind of deviating from the path here. But the combination feeding was great because then I could just feed Polly in the morning and the night uh, and that 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 eased it a bit and, and allowed me like I was very much enjoying all other aspects of being a mother. I do feel for the first six months of being a first time mum that your shoulders are up around your ears and you do gradually feel them start to go down and you realise, OK, if I leave them on that blanket while I run to the loo they are going to be fine. Whereas I was like dragging chairs and stuff into the bathroom, making sure that she was safe at all times, you know, waking up in a fright, wondering where she was, those kind of things. But I found, I, I like the breastfeeding for me, I was sitting, maybe I did it. No, I'm not going to say I did it wrong because I was brilliant at it. But I feel like I used to be sitting up in the middle of the night with, I could only do it sitting up, could never do it lying down. So I was always sitting up wide awake. So I'd be there going, this is meant to be the most magical moment ever. And here I am on my phone, on Facebook, suffering through this, planning my husband's merger. And I just, I, it just was so difficult and it killed me with the guilt. It just, I felt like, you're so good at this. This is so selfish of you to want to stop when you are brilliant at it. And there are other people battling with like shields and latches and this, that and the other. But I just 
when I stopped, it was a huge relief to everybody around me that I had stopped. But I think the greatest gift that like as mums that we can do is to let every other mum find their own path. A hundred percent. Like it's a hundred percent. And I bat like I was did all the reading, Laura. I did the courses beforehand. I was yeah. absolutely adamant. Like breastfeeding was the only th- way for me that like I yeah. absolutely like didn't buy. Was advised by friends to have bought bottles and um, yeah. formula just to have in the house just in case. I was like absolutely not, no way. Um, and then like the whole thing just fell apart like there was just like milk didn't come in she had yeah. a tongue tie yeah um she lost like so much weight and eventually got to like I think it was like trying to look back I think it must have been about maybe day 10 to 14 and like we were it was a Sunday night and we just had to make like it got to the point where like she could have ended up in hospital you know it was getting yeah, that serious yeah, and scary ben, yeah ben was like pam it's time to give her formula and like it was like my world ended like i'll never forget yeah. that night i cried my absolute eyes out yet now i look back and i'm so thankful that i had formula to give her you yeah. know that like granted, uh, he that you had an option i had an option because i it just it just wasn't i did not have enough milk it the whole thing just wasn't working um and I still breastfed, you know, I gave her what I could up to six months and a bit after that, but we combination fed and it was yeah. like that. It was the greatest thing for us like, because that's what I wanted to breastfeed, but I just couldn't. And so it gave me, I like that. I used to feed her in the morning, in the evening, and then yeah. I knew she was getting the bulk of her feed was coming from formula, but that was, I didn't care. Like, that's well, I think that needed. takes a bit of the pressure off as well. So you can just have a nice breastfeeding bonding yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. But I just want to kiss those little ready-made bottles of Aptamel. When they came into my life, I was like, I don't care about my carbon footprint. Come into my house, all of you, all you tiny bottles. I love you. But I remember in the hospital when I was, the day before I was due to go home with Polly, in the middle of the night, at like two o'clock in the morning, this one came in. So like most of them were amazing, but I did meet one or two ones along the way. And this one came in to me, midwife, and she said that Polly was after dropping weight. She told me this at two o'clock in the morning, right? I'm delirious. I haven't slept the whole time I've been in the hospital. I'm seeing things. I could The dirt on the windows was forming into puppets in front of my eyes. I was absolutely hallucinating. And she tells me that my child is losing weight and that if she keeps losing weight, that we won't be going home tomorrow and walks out the door. And sure, Shane's not there. I burst out crying. I was convinced I had the first anorexic baby. I was like, I've had it. I'm going to be in all the papers because I've had a child that has an eating disorder and this is my fault and blah, 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 blah. Came in the next day, Shane asked the nurse straight away what's going on and the amount of weight was something like point something of a gram. And I just was like, why would you do that to a new mother who hasn't a clue? Frightened the living daylights out of it. But then, so the rest were amazing, but you do always, you have moments of like, you do meet the ones that have a kind of a set opinion about it but like I have extremely strong opinions about breastfeeding in terms of I think people need to like uh people need to be honest about it if it was hard for you you have to say it because I feel like yeah I feel like there's a a silence between mothers 
And it's only when you become a mother and you breastfeed that people go, oh, I found it very hard as well. I would have liked to have known in advance that it wasn't going to be a dream. And like friends of mine, I say to them, like one of my best friends had a baby there recently and she had a desperate time with breastfeeding. But I held my counsel as best I could. She knew my opinion on things. So I was like, if you need me to tell you to keep going, I will I will do that if you need me to tell you to stop I will do that because it has to be the mother's choice yeah but I think there can be an awful lot of oh it's so beautiful and floaty and wonderful and I do think for some people it is awful and I also they will never ever fund a study on this ever but I do think there could definitely be a link between difficult breastfeeding and postnatal depression I think there could be because you feel like you have in some way already failed your baby and they're only just out and for me it was particularly hard as well because I was great I had no excuse my boobs were flowing like a river but I uh, emotionally I it, it was awful because I just every time it was time to feed Polly I was like it can't actually be me and I was like this is not the magical floaty feeling I expected to have so I think we're all guilty of kind of perpetuating the myth that it's a delight, whereas it absolutely can be extremely excruciatingly difficult emotionally and physically, I think. Oh, to- yeah. I mean, the physical side of things, absolutely. I think um, it's de- demanding on you physically from a tiredness point of view, but physically yeah. the pain, you know, until you get up and running and it's kind of like, oh, once you get over the first six weeks, it gets better. Oh. Like six weeks is a long time if things aren't working yeah. out for you. Yeah. Um, and again, it's having, you know, a network of people around you that will be honest and say, I will support you no matter what. But or mm-hmm. or if you kind of go, lads, I'm not so sure about this, that they're, you know, that, you know, they'll support you in whatever decision. And for me, I always say, if the mum is happy, the baby's happy. A hundred percent. And however we accomplish that, however the mum accomplishes it, it's within our role as a kind of, a, you know, within the motherhood hour with yeah. friends, it's to support that mum and give them whatever they need. And, and I absolutely do not, like if I'm in the height of breastfeeding panic, you turning around to me and saying, I loved breastfeeding is a pain in my arse because it doesn't help me. It makes me feel worse. And I think there there can, of course, there are people that loved it. But like, you know, keep that to yourself while I'm in the midst of the struggle. Like the same way it is like, if a friend of mine is loving breastfeeding, I'm not going to chime in with my God almighty, I did not enjoy it. Um, but I just think we, yeah. And then with Alfie, I agonized about whether I would breastfeed or bottle feed. And I was like, I knew I had all the information at that stage that I was not a champion breastfeeder mentally. So I remember going into the hospital and the woman saying to me, breastfeed or bottle feed. This is the morning that Alfie was being uh, having his section. And I said, bottle. And she said, cow and gate are optimal. And I said to her, are you not going to give out to me? And she was like, why would I give out to you? I said, because I'm not breastfeeding. She was like, of course I wouldn't give out to you. So then Alfie was, feeding him was a pleasure. Feeding him was a pleasure. Now I had to put two big cabbage leaves down my bra uh, to get rid of the milk to the point that Polly, every time I change my clothes in front of Polly, she still goes, go away milk, Uh, (laughs) which which is probably a desperate lesson that I'll have to undo in years to come. But anyway, um, and so it was a pleasure to feed Alfie and Shane felt more involved. 
and granny felt more involved and I felt more at peace and it also assisted me being more available to Polly because Polly is a child that is all up in your business at the best of times and so if I had been breastfeeding Alfie she'd have been probably hanging off the other one <laughs> so like I just feel like it 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 gave me Alf. It gave me to Alfie as a very happy mammy much earlier than a very happy mammy went to Polly. I think yeah. that is just too. And I do think that that then to come back to your question about the first six months with both, I I do think that had a big impact. Like I think as a first time mother, you're learning a lot in those first six months. Anyway, I don't know was Alfie an easier baby or was I better able to understand what was going on with him like every rash wasn't meningitis with Alfie whereas Polly I'd say had about 10 meningitis scares and was practically flattened from the glass tumbler so like I feel like um I feel like I almost don't remember the first six months of Alfie because he was very happy I was very happy and my main focus was that Polly would adjust to having a sibling yeah. Whereas the, I remember every single second of the first six months of Polly, every minute, every sound, every rash, every snot, every wee, every I remember everything, every second. Yeah, no, I, I, I told like, you know, obviously been due baby now in a few weeks. I like God, what you learn in those first six months, like it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, all sorts, you know what I mean? And I it's... remember, I remember the feeling of what have we done? Well, I remember standing in the kitchen and turning around to Shane and saying, our lives are changed forever. Now, that was very dramatic at the time. And obviously our lives came back and we also had a new life. But, you know, like elements of our lives returned to normal, a kind of a, you know, a, a baby filled normal, but a normal nonetheless. But I remember that first couple of weeks just being like, we have utterly changed our existence. And I think if you fight that and try and get your full normal life back, I think you're fighting a losing battle. You have to kind of embrace the new. Totally. uh, And you have to swim with the tide. It's like a tidal shift within your house. Totally. And you just, you have to remember that you wanted this mostly. And uh, like, I think your brain plays havoc with you as a first time mother. It's like testing you. It's like nature testing you. I remember being at the top of the stairs with Polly in my arms going, what if I threw her down? Now, at no point was I ever actually going to throw her down, but my brain did that to me. And as well, I remember bursting out crying on the couch and turning to Shane and saying, I think it's so unfair that I won't be here for all of Polly's life. Like, what sort of thought is that? I have not had that thought about Alfie. I don't continue to have that thought about Polly, but I feel like your brain, the brain of a first-time mother is doing things to you to kind of prepare you for being a good mother. Whereas the brain of a second-time mother is like, Ara, shush, you're grand. <laughs> You've enough on. You don't have time to have all these thoughts. You have two children now. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think... Like often people would say when, you know, you've your first child and then it's two or three years later or whatever duration time until the second one comes. Um, Do you feel like there was a tidal shift for Polly when Alfie arrived? Oh, God, (laughs) I don't want to upset you now, Pam, because you're about to have a second. Um, I I don't know which I, I, I wonder about this. So Polly was about two and seven months when Alfie was born and Polly as a three-year-old, while mainly a delight, she did have what they call three-nature behaviour. That term gives me the absolute gawks, but having Googled it, she was certainly a three-nature. So I wonder, 
would she have had tantrums and stuff anyway? But she was like textbook. We brought Alfie home and the now she never, ever, ever did anything to Alfie. But the first night we brought Alfie home, uh, Polly clattered Shane across the back of the head with her hand, which she would never, ever have done before. It was a real like, what have you done? What is this thing that you brought into my life? And she did have she it was work i remember feeling like it was work the first two weeks when shane was still off oh my god we went to so many play areas and trampolines and soft play and cinema and this everything to try and make polly feel like it was normal which of course that wasn't normal who goes to those places every day of the week and you know lots of coffee for us and cake for her and we kind of were throwing the whole like life is so normal i actually we were probably stressing her out and then I made her like I made her part of we had so many teams we had the nappy changing team we had the bedtime team everything was a team effort she I'd say came and did every single nappy with me um she like particularly she was very fond of doing the poo nappies I wasn't allowed to do any poo nappy without her but I'd say I said the word team 25.2 million times in the first couple of weeks and like even on her on her birthday I remember she was kind of off form because I think she was annoyed I think she was like this person seems to be hanging around and while I'm very fond of him I just don't I don't fully know uh, if I want to keep him I she did ask on his first birthday do you think we'll keep him and I was like Erin I'd say I'd say we will now at this stage but now she is five and has come through being a teenager and Alfie is two and a half and she finds him so entertaining and she is so full of love uh, for him and he sure he's obsessed with her and everything she does is gas and like I feel like the work um paid off a big time like around the time uh that uh Alfie was born we had a bit of a family situation pertaining to an estranged brother so I put a lot of emphasis on this is your brother this is your sister you must be best friends and so I feel like I've achieved that certainly for now um so I feel like that probably impacted my feelings at the time as well but they they do they do love each other now and um I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased that the work paid off and it has stopped being work. But certainly for the first year, <laughs> I would say it was a lot of we love Alfie. We'll stop having that tantrum now. And there was a lot going on that first year because three is hard. Three is rough on them, I think. Yeah, Alice will be two in August. So baby's arriving in July. Um, yeah. And two is, yeah. two is more emotional less Polly was very verbal Polly had a lot to say so I kind of tantrums with somebody who's very verbal are very difficult because it's much more easy to deal with the child just kind of screeching whereas Polly could kind of articulate what was wrong with her as well which is very very unnecessary (laughs) Ben is totally traumatized for Alice he's he's kind you know he's very like he's kind of upset for her on her behalf Um, I know but I'm like she'll know no different and you know, for me, we're giving her essentially the greatest gift I could give her, which is a sibling. Um, yeah. And like, look, I have two siblings. We kill each other and we love each other. And, you know, it's there. That's life. Yeah. yeah. And, but yet you always know you have your siblings by your side if you ever need them. Well, 
some of my siblings. I would say I have one sibling who's excellent and the other has opted out and that's fine. But I feel like I feel like that's been a good learning curve for me as well, that I, I feel like they're, you know, it's important for them to be as close as they possibly can. But I feel as well, like when the second baby comes, I feel before you have the second baby, there is a feeling of like, I will never love anyone as much as I love Polly. Like Polly to me was just my best friend and still is. Um, but like the space opens up in your heart. So for Ben as well, once he sees the new baby, the space opens up and you, you don't feel you don't feel bad for the first one anymore because you're like, oh, well, I've done an excellent, I've done an excellent thing for you. Here's this lovely, here's this lovely present for you. And, and, and they have to learn. Like now I would say three probably would have been tough even without the baby because Polly was just a wonderfully um, vocal three-year-old and I did not know how to, it was the first time I felt I needed a book when three hit. I was like, I need some sort of help here because I don't know how to deal with these tantrums. And I remember I went back into the archives of the wonderful David Carey, the child psychologist that sadly passed away just when I needed him most. But I found old, old recordings of him talking about tantrums and that helped a bit because I did everything. I shouted, I cried, I didn't shout, I ignored, I gave long speeches, I tried everything. Um, and I, I felt like it was damaging us because the tantrums were so severe and I wasn't dealing with them very well. Um, so I feel like I, three is tough. <laughs> three is a nightmare. And so she's five. Now. She's five. Yeah. So starting school yeah. in September. Yes, she will be. She surely will. So that will be a big step for her. It will. And I think she's more than ready for it. Like Polly is beyond clever and I'm not just saying that as a mother who's very proud of her um but when I was enrolling her for school I'd say there's already a big black <laughs> mark next to my name because I was like I'm gonna start now as I mean to go on so I sent a, an email uh kind of with the registration form and at the end of it I said I think you'd be very lucky to have her <laughs> because and I'd say they're like oh high alert lunatic pants but I do think any school that gets Polly will be very lucky because she's amazingly talented and clever. But I have sent her to a Gwale school because I think she she needs something extra. So I think the Irish will kind of um, she's far, like she's so bright that I feel like the Irish will be a nice challenge for her and keep her nice and interested and stuff because she just she's kind of she's going to be quite old starting like five and a half is probably quite grown up for junior infants, but she's more than ready for it. Um, I hope that they're more than ready for her. <laughs> and what's Alfie's plan then? Alfie is my little baby man. Um, Alfie, like, it's so interesting because Polly was so, like, Polly started walking at eight months like a maniac. She was full of words, always full of chat. Like, she hasn't, my ears are sore. She hasn't stopped chatting for five years. But Alfie is much different he's only kind of getting his chat now he's got such a personality but like he's not he's not hugely uh verbal yet he has loads to say but i i would need some sort of subtitles to figure out what he was saying but so he's going to be three in november so technically he probably could go to play school but i do find him very young and also because i am free enough um mostly um as a comedian, the old day work isn't very much. So I'm going to keep him until he's four and I'll just let him do one year in play school 
and then go to school then when he'll be turning five in the November. I think that'll be more than enough for him. He's just very, he's very different. He's still such a baby, whereas at two and a half, you could have had a fairly full on conversation with Polly. It's amazing how different they can be, isn't it? Yeah, and like, I was just, I was so afraid of a boy. I'm not joking yet. Like, when I look back at it, I'm so simple. Like, I was, we found out both times, so we knew what we were having. Um, because I felt the need to know with the first one so that there wouldn't be a moment where I'd be disappointed if it was a boy. What an awful thing to say. Like, that's the kind of mentality I had. I was petrified. I was like, what can I do with his willy? I don't know how to clean a willy. I was like, I was fixated about his willy. I was like, what? What am I going to do with this? And, um, but like, then when he came along, I'm like, sure, this little man is wonderful. And I care deeply about everything he cares about. And, um, like, they are two, they have huge similarities, the two of them, but they are different temperaments. Like, Polly is, she is so vocal. She's very funny. She can be dramatic like me because she spent every waking minute with me. Um, whereas Alfie, I can see, has a bit more of a chilled out streak. Uh, he's still full of mischief and stuff, but I just, it's, I just, he, they are like they're obviously cut from the same cloth but they are different um and i don't know maybe i'm a bit different because it's second time round as well um but it, it is lovely to see them kind of growing up together and wanting to play with each other and like you know polly sometimes comes along and just picks them up and gives them a cuddle and stuff and that kind of that's so lovely and i'm so thrilled that she she has a brother and that he has her um uh, it was a good it was a good decision <laughs> <laughs> um laura it's the yes. point in the podcast yes. i feel mm-hmm. like we could talk to be honest i feel like we could talk all day and i i kind of have a, a, um some sympathy for people that are listening because it's a carry woman and a quirk woman and i i hope we're just not talking too fast um. <laughs> i know i know sure look at anyone that's listening surely is well used to us at this stage um but i'm going to ask you my three questions at the end okay. yes what would you tell your pregnant self okay two things i tell her the first is don't have porridge on your way to the 12 week scan with polly that was a very unfortunate error that involved in having to get the car valeted. Um, So don't do that. But I would also say in advance of having babies, try to avoid the mammy guilt because I feel like that can be all encompassing. As a mother, I feel like you can be guilty about everything. From the minute you find out you're pregnant, I feel like you can be guilty about asking people to babysit or asking for a break to get your nails done or asking for someone in my case to, to mind um, while I go do a gig or whatever so I would love to just grab my pregnant self and say don't do the mammy guilt just refuse to do it just don't allow it to be a thing and try and stop as many women as possible from doing it because it is a waste of time and even as I'm saying that now I know I still have mammy guilt but you have to, oh, you have to just try and do away with it as as a concept, um, and don't buy into it. So I would say to pregnant Laura, just don't don't even start with that. Everything you're doing is out of love, is from a good place. So don't 
pressurize yourself by lacing a load of guilt on top of yourself as well. That is very sound advice um, mm. because it's 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 so true. I I I I've literally thoughts running through my head of things I have felt guilty over the past kind of almost two years, and you're just gonna go. It's a daily battle. It's, it's a daily. I feel guilty if I'm on the loo and checking my phone. I'm like, you're on the phone too much. You're hiding in the toilet. You're hiding from these kids. Like I have a constant narrative in my head, a little guilt monitor in my head, like pouring guilt into me. You have to really fight to say, no, this is the right decision. Like, you know, for everything, baby led weaning versus yeah. baby rice, the whole lot. Yeah. And I don't know why it, 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 there's always like a left and a right in motherhood. It does always like, there's never like one path. There's always options. And it's like, one is a good option. One is a bad option. And then in the reality, that's not the truth. It's whatever works. It's whatever works. It's whatever yeah. works and whatever gets you through. So exactly. yeah, it's it. There's always like this kind of like a the right and wrong of of things, and it really just needs to stop. And there's liars. There, there there's people lying because they're they, you know there's people saying oh I did this. You're lying if you if you did just one thing. You're telling a lie. You probably tried ten things first and settled on this. You have to be uh, vigilant for like you know. Some of the greatest joys lie in mammy groups, but also some of the most toxic behavior mm-hmm. also lies in them. So you just have to be on high alert and have a no uh, entry policy for guilt. You just have to be like, no, absolutely not. I'm not going there. Yeah. Um, second, what yes. one product could you not live without? Now, I wanted to be like really kind of chic about this, but I was like, I'll just be honest. Uh, water wipes, that particular that actual water wipes, they are just the greatest wipes. I have no affiliation with them, but they're so wet. They, this is what they get rid of the poo because I've tried other ones and they don't, they're not as effective. So I, I don't understand why I didn't always carry water wipes with me even prior to having children. I would have been a much cleaner human being <laughs> if I had access to them. And also shellac, um, getting my nails done. That's a project that I'm currently suffering without. Oh, yeah. But I think I think the whole process of having nice nails and having gone to have major nails nice is for some reason important to me. I, there's nothing else. I'm not fussy about much, but I do enjoy having the nails done. I think it makes me feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm in control. You've here. got your shit together. Yeah, so particularly that's... shellac. You could bait shellac off the wall and it wouldn't trip. So it's like, you know, I'm still hard working, but I've got perfect nails. <laughs> and Laura, what has been your magic moment? Oh, God. Um, I feel like the magic moments are twofold because nothing is ever onefold with me. Um, all of the, I was thinking about this, it's the sticky hand cuddles. It's the you know, your child comes up to you and they're smelling a yogurt and one of them's nappy is not finished, but they're all over you. It's like they're trying to climb back into you. And it's so, or it's the moments like where they they randomly give you a kiss or a cuddle that you haven't had to request. Um, or they just, they snuggle into, or they in some way just want to be, like so there are days where I'm like, my body isn't my own. I have had, humans crawling over it all day but those are the most beautiful moments and I think as well 
a beautiful moment that has kind of emerged for me possibly in the past year is seeing the two of them together, Polly and Alfie, becoming you know, like kind of partners in crime. And like even the other day now, I came into the sitting room having been in the kitchen and Polly had a big cheeky grin on her face and Alfie was standing up on top of a cold stove that he wasn't meant to be standing on, kind of messing with her hair. And it was clear that the two of them were now in kind of, uh, cahoots with each other um, and that you know I was going to be on the outside of that at some point and that that's okay that they can have their own little inner circle and, and always like there'll come a point where they'll need to give out about me they'll need to bitch about me and be like god mom has been such a flipping dose and just the fact that I'm starting to cultivate that space for them as much as I don't, you know, as much as I want them to think I'm a saint, I do know they'll have to give out about me. So just that feeling that they, I suppose a feeling that Polly is delighted that Alfie's here and that Alfie has Polly. Do you know a feeling that like they are, we did right by bringing in another person and that they are, they are somehow joined together um, and kind of falling in love with each other, which I think is, um, if that if that that should, that is good, that is good to see. Um, and I'm happy for them to have each other, and long may that continue. Yeah, I think that's probably something that I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of sibling bonding and watching it grow over time. I think that's going to be totally. Um, no, and they have war. Like they, I mean, there's days where Bolly's like, he won't stop poking me. And Alfie's there poking her with a big smile on his face. And I find it very hard to give out to Alfie because I don't think there's anything menacing behind anything he does. But Shane explains to me that I must also give out to Alfie kind of for Polly's purposes. But like, they, they will kill each other. And, uh, you know, there is arguments about, like this morning, Polly was like, Alfie is getting to watch all his programmes and I'm not getting to watch mine. She's suddenly taken against the twirly woos. But like, I feel like that's all part of it. And I'm glad, I'm just glad that they have each other. And I'm, I'm happy that he's making Polly a, a better person and she's making him a better person. And that, really I think it's great that they're in the world because they're two sound lads <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I, I'm involved in making them somehow Laura thank you so much for joining <laughs> me for the chats I'm so happy yeah. we finally got the time to sit down and um, have them even if it did take a pandemic um, thank you pandemic for <laughs> catching me my fish <laughs> and yeah I'm just delighted thank you so much Thank you. Thank you for listening for today's episode of From Unkind. If you've enjoyed it, please rate, review and subscribe. If you'd like to send a message, please email fromunkind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And see you on the next episode of the podcast. <laughs>